0: Game boys.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of arguments lately for rule of four. Oh, oh my God. People mm-hmm. are really pushing the limits of the craft. It's comedy inflation. <laughs> yeah, and it
2: just makes it all much less valuable.
0: <laughs> I've heard, of, I don't know about rule three or four. I've heard of rule 34, which is where I uh, watch the, that's a cartoon porn, right? The
2: rule 34. Yeah, it's where you can jack off to anything. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's where I, I jack off. <laughs>
1: is on that website. All right, so uh, <laughs> yeah, welcome welcome to another solo episode. No guests this week. Uh, just me and <laughs> Our
0: guest uh could not get reached cuz he was on the the cartoon porn channel.
2: It's so dope having someone on the show who gets to jacking off faster than I do. That's like a really great feeling um that's never happened is this the
0: show already or are, we, are you guys gonna do an intro um
2: no i mean we just sort of do we start talking for a little bit and then we introduce the
1: guest. but you're clearly here so why don't we just what? get going <laughs> the show starts hours from now hours from three hour warm-up we do three hour warm-up we warm one well 45 minutes to 55 minutes of full-blown content yeah
2: griffin likes to be in perfect shape for when we're on the mic oh okay um but yeah, I mean, look, we're talking about the show. You're listening to the show and the show
1: you're listening to is the Game Boys podcast. Griffin, you're one of the hosts. Tell them who you are. That's a, you. Do you always fucking set me up in the worst way? You say my name and then say, introduce yourself. Terrible. Yeah, why not? But fucking every well, you, so many so many podcasts that are way more successful than us use this intro. They, they say they say, hey, John Favreau, introduce yourself. I mean, I was literally just listening to Bible Buddy is a show that makes way more
2: money than we do. And literally it was the guy was like, My name's Alex, and this is Dan. Dan, tell the people about
1: yourself. God damn it. Okay. Well, they're powered by God. Maybe we could get into religion, you know, this My late in the game. My father's a rabbi. We're powered by <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We And we do have the the the, the rabbi gun
2: emote. Yeah, we do. Thanks to uh, Ted Anderson for making that. Um, Alright, well, I'm Lux. I'm one of your hosts. I tried to also make Griffin introduce himself, but then we had a little danger, but he's here too. He's your other host of the Game Boys podcast. And we're here having a good time as always. Razzing each other, enjoying our company. And we also have a guest who you've already heard talk about jacking off uh Michael Goldenberg comedian uh, America's Got Talent competitor yes. and mm-hmm. general bud is on the show welcome dude what's going on thank you oh.
0: thanks for having me it's good to be back uh always love to chat chat games with the game boys
2: yeah mm-hmm. well you're you're a beloved guest
0: uh no no better boys to chat
2: games with that's that's a it's be- a pretty good slogan that we maybe could use uh,
0: you can have it it's free oh yes yes
1: free content does america still it. have talent is america still talented
0: uh i don't see why not i mean i don't know if they might have talent i thought <laughs> you
2: were
1: gonna say i don't i thought you were gonna say i don't
2: see why
0: <laughs> <laughs> they don't uh they they may have talent they might not know talent if you get my drift because <laughs> they they x'd me yeah. on the show so mm-hmm. who, know, who knows what's going mm-hmm. through their their minds the judges yeah mm-hmm. I would say they got talented performers it was Talentless for judges. the judges. I think the people liked it.
1: <laughs> I, know, I know it's going through the judges' head, heads right now. I'm, 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 I wish I could give an X on this show. I'd like to X <laughs> both of you. Go solo. <laughs> yeah.
2: And you can see that. I mean, Griffin, look, you love today's topic. So,
1: like, if you want, we can just... I'll just go back to Loop Hero, and you can just ISO on this if you want for an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, go back to Loop Hero. You mean the game that I see that you're playing right now on Steam while we're recording the podcast? I mean, yeah, the, the game is open. <laughs> Steam is snitching on you. I mean, it's, I'm not playing it. It's paused. I just want to let the audience to know you don't have Lux's full attention. It's the, the game is paused. You do have my full attention. Yeah, well, the, you don't have his computer's full attention. It's using a lot more memory and RAM than normal. Now, you kind of
2: have told on yourself here because you're the one looking at Steam to see what game I'm playing while well, <laughs> I'm looking at the Discord chat having a conversation with you.
1: What's up, Michael? Michael <laughs> used to live at my house. Uh, yeah, I used to live there. Are you playing games? <laughs> Uh you yeah. Playing any I, games I, right I, now?
0: Yeah, I am mainly just playing two games. Uh I've been uh really into for like two months. I've been really into as Griffin knows, Metal Gear Solid 5.
1: Oh yes. Very cool.
0: Uh never played a Metal Gear Solid. I do remember, I think it was on when I did the first ever when you guys did like the Test Game Boys episode that never got released. I remember like <laughs> ragging on Metal Gear Solid and Lux explaining no it's actually good. All the things you hate about it are actually good things. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll think about playing it one day. And then I ended up playing it a few years later and wow. It's great. Wow. Does everything hmm. perfectly. Uh truly one man singular vision, uh, which you don't get much in video games at all.
1: And and what is that vision? What is he what is he envisioning?
0: Um it's actually a pretty prescient anti-american imperialism uh a game or story the likes of which you don't see really at all in 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 modern uh big blockbuster or popular uh entertainment which is basically spoilers for a almost 6-year-old game uh it boils down to there being two conflicting plans of a bioweapon that can attack that'll kill you if you speak a certain language it's like audibly uh what would you how to describe it initiated so they just it's about pretty much some evil corporation made a bioweapon that's a virus that'll kill you if you speak any language that's not english Mm -hmm. so they can control you by so you know they can control anything by what by what, uh, what language you speak and it kills mm. all cultures and then the main bad guy Skullface, uh has a it's an orphan had a very burned face and doesn't an
1: english major apparently english
0: major well he doesn't know where he came from he, he's an orphan but right? he his, loves english doesn't know his country of origin so he's lost that type of he feels like he's lost his humanity in that regard so he wants to reverse engineer that virus and kill so it only kills english speakers and then oh. it releases the entire world from the tyranny of English, which is forced in everyone that everyone can truly be free in their own uh, way. Mm. Very, it's like shockingly interesting stuff.
1: So, Skullface with the aid with the aid of Meghan Markle, Skullface ends the English monarchy. Yeah, kinda. I mean, yeah,
2: the game is so cool. The game is so cool for a bunch of reasons. One of my favorite things about it is that it's telling the story largely from the perspective of like an American special ops guy which you especially don't get to see a lot. Like there are a lot of games about like capitalism, imperialism being bad in like a very abstract way. And even the American versions of that being bad, but in like a, you're the rebels fighting the big bad guy, but you rarely like play as part of the bad system. in it's game that also implicates that system directly, which is very, very cool. And something super duper rare, um, which is part of why fandom pain is so fucking good. Oh my yeah, God. I love it's, Metal Gear it's Solid it's, games, it's, all it's very, That was one of the things that struck me the most is like, you were clearly
0: like the bad guys, kind of like, you're not, there's obviously people who, you know, will kill children and shit, which you don't do, but like, you're still bad for the world. You're still, you know, you're still like hiding nuclear bombs and you're still going out there and engaging in all this. And this kind of bad stuff and you run kind of this borderline, like you're kind of like a dictator on your own Island country. Uh, yeah. like is I mean, to you, well, cause you. you're,
2: cause you're Captain Ahab. Yeah. <laughs> like, that game loves Moby Dick so much. And as someone who also loves Moby Dick so much, it was so cool. There's so many Moby Dick references. You're basically Captain Ahab. It's very weird. It's very fun that the game is like English is uh, is a like a metaphor for capitalism, but also it's where we got Moby Dick from. How do we reconcile with that? Like there's so much good like shit to think about in that game. Also, it's very fun to sneak around and kill people.
0: Yes. Yeah, also, that's the thing. It's, I, I've never been into like sneaking games and this is it's perfect. It's just so perfectly calibrated, every little thing, every single little system you can use in some regard. It's just a genius.
1: Mm-hmm. And why is there a bikini soldier? Uh, that bikini is, su- that, that soldier? is a big.
0: That is a big. I was about to say there is some, uh, unfortunately, a uh, very, very uh, problematic
1: aspect of it. Uh, it. It's Japan's Lola Bunny, and if they attempt to alter her image in any way, there will be hell to pay from the East
0: yeah it is uh <laughs> it is uh Christ. it is uh there the the two main problematic things are there is the bikini soldier which they try to write it off as she breathes through her skin so uh oh yeah that's the reason all-time that's great the reason justification <laughs> she breathes through her skin so that she can't wear clothes because it'll suffocate her it's like uh, i don't know mm. about this and then also there's a storyline where there is you rescue these like or quote-unquote rescue these child soldiers and then bring them back to the base, and they escape. You have to get them back. And these are all, you know, it's pretty, pretty graphic depictions of, like, child soldiers in Africa. And then they are just completely randomly led by, like, a white child. And it's just completely unexplained. And they all completely defer to, like, this white child. It's ri- some weird, weird, this guy, like, at times, it's like this guy really gets it. And then there are also times, oh, this guy really does not get it. Um, hmm. But uh, fascinating game nonetheless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could do without those parts. Uh, I, you can't, you can't, the you can't, you can't, you can't praise the game without bringing up those negative parts
1: yeah the only thing about the game that uh i just just couldn't get me through it is the open world is just very bland and just sparse and just kind of like repetitive copy paste to me and like a good stealth stealth game to me is like defined by uh, a lot environment a lot a lot of the times and and i just could not get into that open world and it felt um, confusing in a lot of ways. It didn't just feel like an organic uh, experience that I understood how to, like, walk through. Yeah,
2: I mean, they don't really, there's nothing to do in the open world. Um, the thing with that game that's really frustrating, that is true, and you've hit on it, is that, like, the level design in terms of the open world segments is very kind of, like, flat and, like, not, doesn't, like, push you around or, like, do any of the cool stuff that we've talked about liking level designs to do. And then the mission design is always really, really good, I've found. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. it's very frustrating because there are stretches where you're like, this isn't the good game that I've been playing. And instead you play this other worst game for an hour and a half and then you get to play the good game for a little while, which is dumb.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I've been playing a very good game called Persona 5 Strikers, boys. Uh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I didn't know this game even was coming out. Uh, it is this kind of semi sequel to one of my favorite games of all time, Persona 5. And it's solid. Uh, it's basically like a semi sequel narratively combined with a gameplay that's like dynasty warriors meets kingdom hearts and like the second i heard someone describe it as like a kingdom hearts style combat i mean of course i was like all the way in <laughs> yeah it feels great it is sweet and it is amazing to have a persona game on the fucking switch man it is so cool to just do the like the persona vibe just in your bed on the switch oh it's great yeah i mean muso games in general aren't my steez per se because
2: they're very kind of repetitive but this game does do a good job of introducing a few more mechanics to fighting than those games normally have like it is a little spicier than dynasty warriors which like makes it playable for me i'm still like i'm never like a huge fan of those games unless i'm like in a bad mood in which case i love them mm-hmm. because then you get to kill a bunch of things and that makes me feel good because i'm a fucked up guy kind of twisted mm-hmm. that way but um the fucking the, the the that structure's not for me, but this game does, as far as that structure goes, really do a lot with it in a way that is not what you normally see out of like a Dynasty Warriors or a Samurai Warriors or something like that.
1: Yeah, it like takes it really makes you feel like it takes the turn based battles of Persona five and makes it really feel like, oh, this is like what it would look like if it was like real time, because there's like a lot of strategy in terms of using like elements on the different enemies and different environment stuff. And yeah, it's just been a blast so far. I mean, it's so, it is uh, real time. real time. It's real time combat it's real-time combat this time okay. as opposed oh, yeah. to turn-based um it's pretty good
0: i would i would recommend See, it I, I can't do turn based. i just i get i get i get really bored doing turn-based stuff uh, that's why i avoided final maybe fantasy you like this one then yeah that's why i avoided final hmm. fantasy for so long which is you know alongside and then you like the remake yeah i love the remake so maybe
1: i gotta jump into mm-hmm. persona fighting. Mm-hmm it's because the answer to making any kind of good game now is to just make it kingdom hearts that's the answer to any good (laughs) game i do not not like this. this the final fantasy seven remake is literally just like ripping off kingdom hearts in a million different ways. So is this persona five strikers game. Uh, and a lot of JRPGs have gotten back into this like targeted real time, um, like, sl- like, like big jump slashy movement. That's really, really fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's to be f- fair. It's the, it's ripping off the director, Tetsuo Nomura who made kingdom hearts and final fantasy seven and 15 <laughs> It's a guy. It's a guy's design strategy. He's not stealing. He can't steal from himself, right?
1: Well, I mean, Persona 5 Strikers.
2: Yeah, they're stealing didn't, from, he from didn't, him. He didn't make that. Yeah, they're stealing from him. They're taking no more Do they? And they also do have a lot of fucking leather jackets with buckles. So they're really copying his whole deal. Do you need to have mm-hmm.
0: played Persona Five or uh, to understand Persona Five Strikers or
1: no? Um, I think you they, like they don't really set up the characters at all. But if you don't care about that, it's it gives you all the all the all the like flavor of Persona, uh, at least in terms of like music and setting and stuff like that, in a slightly different package. The one thing that is a, like. I'm a little disappointed with is it doesn't really have as much of a high school simulator aspect to it. Uh, A big part of persona is developing relationships with characters and then they get stronger in the dungeons. Um, I think I'm still early in the game. So I think there is going to be more, Real world activities to do, but right now in the beginning, there's it's very light on that and mainly on dungeon crawling, uh, but it is good. It is on the Switch and PC and PS5, but having a Persona game on the Switch, you can't beat it. Uh Lux, what have you been playing this week? Before we get uh, into the real premise of this episode, because I'm dying to get into it. Well, as Griffin, when Griffin, as Griffin tried to catch me with his gotcha journalism, I've been
2: playing loop hero, man. Um, mm-hmm. it fucking, I mean, I've been playing Persona 5 Strikers too. It's really fun. I've played a lot of PS5, which has been really nice, um, on the big TV, which is very cool, but. Fucking loop hero is my game right now. And the game rules. It's so fun. Now, what is loop hero? Uh, it's a, uh, okay. So here's the pre- The premise is that like a, uh, a spooky lich or something has like destroyed the world and also destroyed everyone's memories, but you have like a little bit of a memory. So you can slowly put the world back together. And so what that looks like mechanically is you play as a little guy who goes on a loop and has like automated fights with monsters and you can change his equipment and stuff. And as you fight, you get back little cards that represent details of the world, like mountains rocks, villages, monster layers, forests, and then you put those onto the board and then the board starts to grow and like more things can happen because there's more places and you build out the world more and more as you go. And then every run ends and you get a certain number of resources that you can use to build like your base camp out and get extra bonuses that go in and sort of like a roguelike with a very different mechanical set than like most roguelike games have. Um, And it's really fucking fun. And it's great for me because I like, I can play it
1: and also be doing a different things. I can just set the loop to run and like, it's a a big zone out game. Yeah. A lot of people really like it on Twitch because of that. Like it's a game where you can like actively do it while like talking to your chat or watching a video or something. It's, it's kind of like a perfect ambient game in a way.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's great because it's, this is a very rare thing is that those kind of ambient games, it's either sort of like you kind of have to play them at 70% attention you know, or like you have to play at 100 percent attention. But this game, you can kind of go either way. Like, it's super fun. to Just watch the game, super focused, be super attentive to everything you're doing, like upgrades, downgrade, like upgrades, building, whatever. Or if you're like, want to be at 70 percent attention and also be like checking Twitter or messaging Griffin at scheduling the podcast or like planning your camping trip, like you can be doing that while you play Loop Hero and it's like no fucking problem. Um, and so it really accommodates like a really wide range of like attention levels while still being fun, which is a very rare thing. And a thing that I appreciate as a real attention bad guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm bored. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the movie. I, uh, <laughs>
2: sounds great to me. Yeah, it's very fun.
0: I'll have to check yeah. that
2: out.
1: Fun, cheap
2: pixel art that you're going to love. You're going to love this pixel art. Um, I Um, I do think, Griffin, you'd
1: probably get frustrated and bored by it if you were playing it. I think that you would not love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, folks, I don't really have any great transition. We'll see in just a second when we talk about Willy's Wonderland. Speaking of fucking loops, dude. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Uh, Okay, boys, we got a new movie it is loosely 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 based on the video game series Five Nights at Freddy's. We watched Willy's Wonderland uh starring Nicolas Cage and we had to have one of our movie experts Michael Goldenberg here on the show to uh break down this movie what uh, what we think this movie is at all and i, I have a lot of thoughts um mm-hmm. but i wanted to ask our guests from the top here before we get into specifics what was your big take away from watching willy's wonderland
0: uh my big takeaway is something that uh griffin you mentioned when we watched this together a couple nights ago which is that this movie is 100 percent true pulp this is not like kind of Quentin Tarantino. We've kind of grown to think of like pulp as like craftsperson pulp where like some of the grindhouse movies, right? Like the planet tear and, uh, uh, death proof. We have real like crafts people making kind of a pulpy premise type thing. So it actually is a lot better than you would think one of these movies are. Whereas this is a true, like, just feels like it was written in a half hour uh all one location a lot of blood spurts no real character story it's just true like down and dirty feels like it was made for twenty dollars movie hell yeah and if you watch something like that it's it's pretty fun it's a lot different than those movies it's a lot different than a movie like like green room uh which is another like craftsperson pulp movie this is true like you know low budget Poor writing, poor acting,
1: poor everything. But the Chuck E. Cheese robots are also supremacists.
0: Uh, (laughs) uh, Maybe. We don't know that for sure. Do they they say that in it or no? They're all serial killers. I I don't don't think (laughs) think they said that. Yeah, they're
2: all serial killer ghosts. (laughs) So
0: if you want to look for (laughs) something like that, have fun. If you're looking for like uh, one of those, ooh, it's a fun, silly, violent movie, like the ones I'm used to, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed is my big Mm -hmm. takeaway.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lux, what did you think? What was your big takeaway from the film? My big takeaway was a little bit different, actually.
2: My big takeaway was that somebody saw Mandy, or somebody at Baffin Productions, a chicken soup for the soul production company.
0: Oh, is that, uh, there, was another, there was another movie that was produced
2: by them. I don't remember, like in the last couple of years. I don't remember yeah. what it was. Well, this one definitely was one. Um, someone at that company saw Mandy and went, Oh, I could do that. <laughs> um, hmm. And then tried to do Mandy. There's so much shit in this movie that is just bad versions of sequences for Mandy. Um mm-hmm. and it's wild it's like a real ripoff in that sense it is very pulpy but it also it like there's so many weird choices like it raised a lot of questions to me my big question coming out of it was like was Nicolas Cage charging them by the word like why the fuck do you have that man in your movie if he doesn't talk like sure. Well, They're there's so- a,
1: there's a few things here about the, the how this movie got made that I did want to share with you guys that I did research because okay. I was baffled, equally like Michael on sort of the low production value, not just in the actual budget, but in just sort of the the filmmaking tendencies of the film. Yeah. In the opening scene, a man basically is dragged away, but it looks like he's just crawling backwards. Like there is there's like a level of value to the film that is like pretty much. Only seen in like graduate student films, like student, like and stuff like that. Like, uh, and so I was like, "Where did this movie kind of come from?" Uh, and so the the filmmaker and writer, um, a man named G. O. Parsons, originally made a one minute short film uh, that we've all watched, um, which is uh, just you know kind of like a, a concept for the film, uh, and it is just really really dog shit it looks like it's filmed on like a razor phone it is a minute long and it is just as student film in a lot of ways and i was like oh yeah this is like a singular creator who like all this stuff just like is like this uh but basically he got a feature version of the script um onto this um website it's kind of like the blacklist for horror movies and nick cage found the script and watched the one minute short film and was like, I want to be the guy. And then just started producing the script. So this is basically like a, like a filmmaker from nowhere that Nick Cage basically was just like tapped. That actually really effectively
2: answers one of my big questions about this movie, because I saw that at a $5 million budget and mm-hmm. it also
1: has Nick Cage. Whoa, 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 um, whoa, 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 all- whoa, whoa, whoa. This was $5 million. That makes sense to me. There's like, yeah. like there's like a, there's like big things they had to buy yeah they had all those big costumes and like but five million dollars
0: yeah worth of costumes i don't know anyway sorry that's i find that number shocking but yeah so it was like
2: (laughs) it was like this is a five million dollar movie and i was watching it and i was like at five million dollars how do they have nick cage eight animatronics that are badly designed but like well built um, yeah, like they look big. like they look like shit because the people who drew the concept art are dumb and have bad taste. But like the people who made the animatronics did a really good job of making them look like the thing they're like that they're what they are. Um, and then they had this huge location and it was like how at five million dollars, that feels like that's like 50 percent or more of your budget already there. But if Nick Cage is producing the movie, maybe they got a discount on him and then like other stuff and like that kind of now I can see how they made a movie like this for five million dollars. So I was watching it. I was like, this feels like they spent at least half the budget on three
1: things and then everything this, else is just this dog This is shit. a passion project for Nick. Like yeah. that's what this was. This is a passion, passion project for Nick, which makes a lot, and it makes a lot of sense why he chose this. And I guess the one, my biggest takeaway from this film, before we get into the specifics uh, of it, is that this film is like baffling and hypnotizing because in most horror films, you are worried About the humans being in danger of the monster. But in this film, Nicolas Cage is never in danger for a moment, completely eliminating the core tension of the horror genre and flipping it so that, in fact, in every scene, I was more worried for the robot monsters than I was for Nick, because which sort of like eliminates any kind of tension in the film, but I can't look away from it. it. It's a horror movie. It's
0: a horror horror movie where at no point is any character afraid. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yeah, it's a wild, it is a wild choice to have this, like the first reveal of like the things alive and it's coming to get you and have him no sell it, 100%. a hundred percent. Like yes. he's not even mm-hmm. surprised or confused. He's just yes. like, Oh, I see. A robot's coming to kill me. I
1: guess I'll kill it mm-hmm. with my bare hands. Yes. And uh, so it's like to me, this is how like Nicolas Cage like sees the perfect horror movie, like one where he's like Owning the whole time, like not one where he's like running in fear, but one where he is the monster. And I I think that is how it was pitched to him, uh, because he never speaks the entire film. Uh, And in fact, he doesn't care. About any of the other humans either, uh, he is he is a different species from everyone else. Uh, and so, on that note, I do want to get into the film uh, and start. Um, it 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 opens with Nicolas Cage driving down the road and his tires pop from some tracks in the road, some like tire track poppers, um, and he's taken into town uh, by a, like a pickup guy. Um, and they say they're going to like work on his car or whatever. Right. Um, he like sees these like tracks that pop his tire. Doesn't react at all. Doesn't care. Doesn't react at all. Just like, huh? Guess that happens. classic,
2: classic uh, leather spikes in the road. Uh, not for one second. Is he like, why
1: are there caltrops in the middle of this nowhere highway? <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't question it for even a moment. Um, And so then he's picked up by this guy named Jed Love. He's taken back to uh, the abandoned family center where the owner, Tex Makadu, offers him work as like a night shift janitor in exchange for repairing his vehicle. Uh, A very strange uh, trade. Like, I need you to just like be a security guard to get your your tires fixed. But. Nick is a silent protagonist, He seems like he's a loner and he's ready to to accept anything. So he accepts uh, securing what he's shown to be is a completely abandoned and dusty place. Like, why would you need to even secure it?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the first of many signs throughout the movie that Nick Cage is playing a fundamentally unwell man. Like a man who is mentally not well, like this is just the tip of that iceberg, but like the number of things just in the first like four or five minutes that are like, a person who's like well calibrated psychologically would have raised a lot of red flags and been like, what's going on? He just like fucking drives right by him, does not give a shit. And it only becomes more as the movie goes on. But this is like our first sort of like, oh, this guy's a real weirdo. He's also mm-hmm. seemingly yeah.
0: seemingly chemically dependent on a uh, punch soda, which is a yes. purple soda. He stops. He, and I was like, I was like, he was like, stops and <laughs> his uh his his tires pop and he goes takes out the tires immediately pops open the trunk crushes a soda and then decides what he's gonna do next uh and you're gonna see a lot of that soda throughout the movie and if you think it's gonna pay off in any meaningful way you are a stupid asshole
1: no way! No, mm, you're, no it, you're correct. It does. It just not in a way that it satisfies.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it, it pays off twice unsatisfyingly, but it does pay off twice. Yes.
0: Well, what were the pay, yes, What were the does. payoffs of it? I don't. Remember, I remember thinking like, okay, we'll get oh, there.
1: Yeah, fucking no spoilers, we'll baby. It's what is this? We're we're getting through the movie. Uh, so. <laughs> they we then are set up with this sort of weird relationship with this teen and this like cop who i guess is her caretaker but it's very confusing and she immediately like black snake moan chains her to like the radiator and leaves her in the house um and then her friends you know a few scenes later like who are this group of teens and it's like oh okay this is like the flesh that will be spilt like the blood that will be spilt in the movie. Okay. We have some teens and we don't like any of them. Perfect. Um, so uh, Tex and Jed are the kind of creepy guys who get Nick to work there. They leave and they lock him in the building and Nick cage just, he just no questions asked nightmare, nightmare plays. He gets to clean him and they start doing this sequence where he's just cleaning. And I'm like, hell yeah this movie mm-hmm. is good it's, i it's, like they this. play like this now, cool I'm- like
0: techno rock beat it's like it wants you to think this guy's a fucking badass like fucking like wiping off like a jukebox and shit it does act. it is pretty it's yes. pretty awesome it's legitimately like pretty good pretty good
1: It gets you hype. And I think there's really nothing satisfying in a video game or a movie more than cleaning. Uh, There's just something about when people clean well, it it gets everyone pretty jazzed because it's uh, only heroes clean. Um, But so, yeah, he just starts like, you know, cleaning and and cleaning stuff up. And then he is confronted by our first attack, which, as we mentioned, is this sort of ostrich character. They use it in the trailer. And I have to say, this ostrich is pretty scary looking yeah he's a freak
0: yeah it, it's a freak the ostrich he's scary. and there's willie who's the main it's like a giant like fox with a long neck and there's a gorilla mm-hmm. and those three all look like kind of what you'd see at a uh, E. cheese type place everyone else just looks like a costume it looks like people in a costume yeah. a paper mache heads. so it really takes you out of it so it was smart on their on their part they open and close with probably the two best ones Best looking ones.
1: Right. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, this ostrich, I was like in this first moment, like this is like the first like monster attack. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is a very creepy ostrich. The way it like appears behind him. I'm like, I'm in it like I'm in it this horror moment. And then Nicolas Cage just easily turns around And beats it to death. And it is not a challenge at all. No challenge
0: at all. And also does not do it in any sort of creative way. He just punches it over and over again until it dies. Yes. Yes. That's it.
2: No tools, this scene, no tension, scene, no danger, just bam, bam, bam. Use a, a mop
1: for a second. Oh yeah. Okay. yeah.
2: This scene pump fakes like a pump fakes a kind of character for this guy that does not come up later. Cause at first he's fighting it in this kind of like jujitsu-y defensive style, like picking his spots, and then it scratches his face, and then he goes like full Hulk on it. But it's not as like, and so there's kind of this like, you made me bleed my own blood, like don't get me angry, whatever kind of thing going on with that moment. not the way the character works throughout the rest of the movie. Just a one time thing at the beginning Mm -hmm. and the rest of the time he just can flip the switch to kill mode whenever. And it's like again this movie does these things where it's like making choices that either
1: don't mean anything or are totally insane. Now it'd be one thing if he defeated the monster after a lengthy and brutal battle that took something from him and we've seen that in horror before but just the quick, just like no more than 15 seconds of fighting before this Austrian is completely eliminated. Uh, and then I'm like, oh wow, like this guy is just gonna do this every time, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, so once he's blo- once he's discovered that these robots are alive, he still. Does not care and just goes back to cleaning, which then to me in my movie watchers brain makes me think he wanted to come here. He has a purpose and a history with this place and he has a mission. No, no, not at all. No never never comes to fruit he doesn't have a past history with the place he wasn't a kid that who lost a friend from before he has never learned about these robots before or after he is just in the present doing what he wants yeah and
0: it becomes makes the entire movie almost the entire movie completely static because he does not change (laughs) his 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 outlook on the whole thing his perspective does not change on the scenario whatsoever so if you're watching mm-hmm. it, you're 10 minutes in and you're watching your 50 minutes in and you as a viewer mm-hmm. feel no different. That's, uh, yes. that's movie making, baby. Yeah.
2: And that's actually mm-hmm. kind of one of the Mandy parallels. Not that Mandy is dramatically inert that way, but the back half of Mandy, he's in a very similar spot the whole time. And what they do is sort of stylize and boost up the combat in different weird ways with the camera, with the music, with the colors, etc. Um, That's a thing this movie does eventually try to do. But for a long time before that, it's just this dramatically inert Dude punching monsters in the dark and always winning with no problem sort of structure, which is is fun in a way but also is doesn't really juice my goose in like a really like no, emotional sense
0: it could be i mean again i I call me a purist, I'm not into you know I would love to have some kind of arc or some kind of struggle in a movie like this doesn't necessarily need to have that if you do something interesting with these fights and with these monsters. But the first like two or three times, it's just he's cleaning, punches a monster to death, goes and cleans the bathroom. Monster shows up out of nowhere, punches them to death. Goes outside, another monster. There's ra- yes, there's
1: there's rarely any heightening of of the conflict of the action. Yeah. It's really just him beating them all to death with his hands. It's a checklist yeah, movie. Like <laughs>
0: aesthetically, visually, in space, nothing interesting is yeah. happening. You know, if the first one was boring, the third one's gonna be really boring.
1: Yeah,
2: it's and it's especially strange because the monsters all show off like powers and techniques when they're fighting the teens later, and then when he fights them, they just like forget about those things. Yeah, um, no we'll way. get to some examples later, but it's very funny how they like minimize what the monsters even can do when he's fighting them like fighting him is a debuff to them
1: yeah no he was designed to do this so um you know then he he cleans the bathrooms it's incredibly satisfying he's really turning this place around and then in the clean bathroom uh he's attacked by gus gorilla uh who uh then it just really revealed to me too that it's like when Gus Gorilla attacks, Gus Gorilla does surprise and pop out at him in the bathroom stall. But then Gus Gorilla just kind of like, just kind of like shakes his body like against Nicolas Cage, like like it made me feel like oh like these robots aren't even that dangerous. Like like I could fight some of these robots like because they're like not doing and that none, much. None of the
0: da- none of the robots feel at all dangerous until maybe like. A little more than halfway Mm, through, yeah, when they start killing people, yes,
1: exactly, yes. There's very few, a lot of, a lot of the sort of easy mode robots early on. He curb stomps Gus Gorilla, and we get a lot of that robot. I guess oil blood. I mean, it looks exactly like blood, but I guess we're thinking that's robot oil. I think It's
2: supposed to be oil. Yeah. This is like Mandy metal movie shit where like they want to have sprays of blood and like the contrast of Mm -hmm. like dark liquid spraying through light and shit, which is like classic sort of heavy metal movie making stuff. But like Mm -hmm. they also want them to be robots. So they just like filled them with inexplicable oils and a spinal cord. Yeah. Right.
0: It is it's a structure it's a structure it is based on a video game, although not an action video game. This movie is loosely based on. It's more of a, I guess what would you call like a strategy for Five Nights at Freddy's. What genre would
1: you place it? Five Nights at Freddy's is a horror game that's very low-fi. Uh, it's it's like a surveillance so game. It's not an
0: action game. It's a
1: surveillance and
0: But this this kind of pacing mm, I mean, I mean you you're not fighting anything. You're not clicking a button and punching or hitting. You can't Yeah,
1: no, it's in in fact, it's like it's kind of like desecrating the very idea of Five Nights at Freddy's, which is to fear the robots in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. You actually just kill them instantly. It's reversing the roles.
0: Well, I was going to say it did remind me pacing wise of like a video game where at the beginning of a little action video game, you'll kind of kick everyone's ass. And it's pretty easy. And then slowly but surely, it's a little more threat. They start introducing new things. And at the end, it's just a big fight. Uh that's where I thought going. I said oh, maybe like they're trying to like show off video game things and then I thought, oh, this is probably I'm thinking about this more than anyone who made this movie did. So I'm just gonna stop.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I I think to think too much about the movie, I think I think just like the, the protagonist, we kind of need to live in the present with the film and just sort of accept what comes at you as it comes. So moving on, uh, we have these annoying kids and, you know, the protagonist decides to that uh, they're all literally just committing arson. They're pouring gasoline all over this house, uh, all over this building because the kids are aware that the robots killed people apparently the kids have been aware for a long time about this and no one cares so they're putting a stop to it they are going to burn it down and they're trying to tell Nick Cage from outside the place to come on out don't go in there but he does not give a fuck he will not listen one of the kids is like let's just burn it anyways just just being like let's just burn a man alive a stranger that we don't know who we know is innocent and everyone's like yeah I guess we could do that I guess and then she's the the main girl's like no I'm going in and she goes in there and is instantly uh, in this like a kind of creepy encounter with the fairy girl um, who I thought was pretty scary. Yeah, this is the best scene in the movie.
2: Yeah, she's the number one one who gets nerfed when she fights Nick Cage because when she fights Liv, the main girl, like all her moves are like super quick and she's like doing like kung fu bends to avoid kicks and she's like popping up behind her. And later, when she fights Nick Cage, he just like punches her a bunch of times. Doesn't even try and do any of her super speed maneuvers. And
1: it's like, what are we? He doesn't like. He like beats her up handcuffed. Yeah. Like later. Like yeah. It's it's it's, she total nerve. Yeah, total nerve. Look, the alligator. She runs the alligator
2: in the vents. I guess the alligator they deal with pretty easily too. Like everything she runs into feels scary (laughs) when she runs into it. Because a, a she can't beat it, and b. They make them cooler when she's fighting yes. them, and when Nick Cage fights them, they're fucking wimped out versions of the original. It's yeah. wild.
1: It's because it's because the monsters aren't the monsters. Nick Cage is the monster, yeah. and the robots are just more teens. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like that's what this movie. The is. main girl literally lifts the line exactly from Watchmen.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, in Watchmen, when uh Rorschach is in prison. Oh yeah, you're they're not locked in here with
1: him. Yeah, Rorschach he's not locked in here with them. Him. They're yeah, locked in here with, with him. him yeah uh so Incredible. maybe for, like
0: the two best scenes though, you can just uh, do rorschach are, are, i guess are, are this, yeah he's rorschach he's just that's what he is he uh the mask but uh yeah you have those two scenes where the 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 monsters the fairy can like kind of run up the walls almost or, like jump up and then disappear and come back uh the idea of like an animatronic alligator chasing you through a vent is pretty terrifying So it has his ideas, but it kind of it it shows you them very briefly and just
1: kind of pushes them aside to show Nick Cage playing pinball or some shit Mm -hmm. or cleaning. Um, So anyways, we're moving through and, uh, you know, uh, Liv has been all the all the other. Of her friends follow in after her and they all comically fall through the roof and are all now locked in that place together, I guess. Michael made the good observation that, oh, there's a hole in the roof. The place is a lot less scary. Uh, and I guess in that I would kind of agree, but we never really see this guy, so they try to frame it out. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, so they find Nick, and they're like, "You have to get out of here," and he just does not care at all, and goes back to playing pinball, while uh, Liv, the high schooler, goes on like a ten-minute exposition monologue. Um, that's pretty incredible. Uh, just talking about how the old place used to you know used to run and then um a notorious serial killer and his psychotic uh, cannibalistic partners would murder entire families for their pleasure in this one back room which i thought was crazy that like the the way that this is explained is they would literally murder families four people at a time. Like, it's like one thing for a kid to go missing, but like to literally just be like, oh, yeah, the Robinsons. Yeah. That whole family is missing right. now.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing with this. It's like when she explains it, she's like and then after enough time had passed and there were enough missing persons reports and blah, blah, blah. The police came. It's like, no. You get away with that once. You get one. (laughs) Maybe. As soon as a family goes missing at your animatronic Chuck E. Cheese knockoff, the
1: police are there. At light speed. Like you don't yeah. like you get to do that one time. It's There's not, it's not the woods, it's not a sewer grate or something. It is an establishment important. where people are It's also not like this isn't in the middle of fucking New York
0: City. This is some random ass small town. So one family is probably like three yeah. percent of the whole fucking population.
1: Yes, it feels like a small yeah, town too. So
0: it's it's ludicrous. And I do love that the the language used in her big monologue is so like formal. And it's just it feels mm-hmm. it, what it honestly felt like is they probably the production company had some kind of like college intern script reader who had to write the coverage for this movie. And that's how that person described like the, the plot of the movie. And the writer saw that and thought, oh, that's actually pretty concise. Let's
2: just use that.
1: And she's just reading off a teleprompter for like 10 yeah. minutes. Like there's a bunch of
2: spots in that speech where she sounds like she's done talking where she's like, and that's when they killed those kids. And then like pause for like four seconds and i will be like, and then that's when they found the bodies all hidden in the room because of the satanic ritual because the Satan people think that they transferred their bodies into ghosts and she just has these long pauses. So it's this 10 minute interminable exposition scene that you keep thinking is over. And they layer on more and more totally unnecessary plot details. Like I don't need to know shit about this backstory. I know Nick Cage is fighting animatronics in a spooky place. The town is evil in a wicker man style. I don't need 10 minutes of a woman reading cue cards to tell me what's going on.
1: I literally think what happened was they like looked at the cut of the movie and they're like, oh, no, it's only an hour. Like, we need to fill this out. Yeah, like, we got it, to get like 75 seems to play like, feel like padding. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, we're not allowed to just make it like an hour long. Um, yeah, um, it it, so it, it, it they, takes about
0: literally maybe six or seven minutes to explain that uh, they're serial killers who were Satanists and now their souls are in their bodies. Six or seven minutes out of what 89-minute movie.
1: hmm Yes. Yeah. So... Um, we learn all of the history, uh, on the restaurant and no one cares. Nick Cage doesn't care. Um, and, uh, more animatronics come to, come to life almost immediately. Nighty Night just chops someone's fucking, like stab someone through the chest and then chops their head off. He's what I would say is like closest to like the Burger King, but like medieval times.
2: Yeah. He's a he's a fucking like cartoon knight with a big mustache and a big old sword. He's my favorite. I think he's like Mm -hmm. very funny looking. He nails like what the movie should be going for, which is this disjunct of like childish imagery with like super mega violence. Cause he's definitely mm-hmm. the most like cartoony and fun looking of them. And he also cuts people with a sword. It's like nighty night really gets what this movie should be doing in a way that a lot of other parts of this movie don't. Sure.
1: And well, my personal favorite c- comes up next, who is Tito, the Spanish speaking turtle. <laughs> oh, like, t- not, I did not care for Tito to be honest, <laughs> who, who speaks pr- completely in gringo Spanish. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're just, everybody is eating like all the kids now, like you're right. It's it's like the only time they express any of their powers or use their mana abilities. Um, and then uh, the janitor and Liv managed to kill both Artie the alligator and the knight. There is, a, a, I kind of skipped a scene. It's very really dumb and quick. But of course, we have to have a sex scene in the film. Two of the teens just set go alone into one of the rooms. She's like, it's so horny and hot how all these people died in here. And he's like, I want to leave. They start fucking. And then she's like, I want to leave. He's like, no, we're fucking now. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and they get killed by the alligator. This movie is like one. So there's a horror movie thing that happens,
2: which is that like that characters have one trait and that everything else about their personality is just malleable based on the scene. And this movie is like the most that in the world, like the two people who go fuck are the girl who's like actually smarter than you think she is and also hot. And then uh, the guy who doesn't think anyone should be there. And it's like everything these two characters have done so far, aside from being like hot and horny, has been like, oh, they would never go in this room. And they go in that room, make a series of shitty choices and then get murdered. And it's like this, like, just give them a little continuity. Like, you also have, like, yeah. another dude who, like, doesn't even have any lines. Make him horny and go in the room and get well, murdered it's just or The monsters
1: are so ineffective that they, kids have to, like, throw themselves at the <laughs> monsters in order <laughs> yeah. to die is, like, the problem with it. It's just like, they're like, oh, fuck, like, all, all these people are still alive because these robots are kind of shitty. <laughs> Which makes, again, just reduces the fear of the robots and makes them to me just like more more like just a different series of characters that are also being murdered because the real murderer is Nick. Um, so, you know, all these characters are pretty much almost instantly done away with and pretty much just left with uh, Liv and Nicolas Cage, the janitor. Um, sort of here at the end of the film there is some like side stuff with like the police and like the the conspirator guys outside but it's so bland so forgettable and like is it even like worth mentioning it like do you have th- any notes on that it's stuff? worth
0: mentioning because there is a second exposition dump done later by the police yes, officer in that's the car true. Uh, that does not reveal any new information. She just reaffirmed everything the girl said before. It's good stuff. It's
2: another six or seven minutes. And also the other mm-hmm. thing about that that's worth noting is that the whole plot with the police outside is meant to like make you feel sympathy for the sheriff and like the sheriff's play to like this town that has to sacrifice people to this haunted Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, But if you're going to put that in your movie, you can't have her black snake moan a teenager. And then when the teenager asks her where to pee, have her go, there's a bucket and then leave. Like, yeah, there's what? no coming back from that. Like, it's, no matter what you had her do, I was never going to like her. So, like, why? Yeah,
1: it's It was, just, it was weird. Again, that's another thing in the
2: movie it. that felt like they were like looking at 65 minute cut and they were like, it has to be 75 yes. to play theaters. Let's
1: get some stuff in here. Like that's another example of that shit. Um, so there is, uh, then there's this scene where, uh, Oh, there is sort of a scene that I guess would sort of set step up the action and makes me think that, oh, it's going to be a heightened action sequence when the two conspirator guys tell Nick that he has to stay inside the place and they don't like that he's been destroying the robots because they're mad that Willie, the most powerful robot, will then bring revenge on the town and stuff like that. So they handcuff Nicolas Cage and they put him back in the place where he has to fight two of the robots, handcuffed. And I'm like, oh, incredible. Finally, he has been nerfed and this will be a good scene. And then he just casually walks up to both of them and just beats them up. Yeah. What is he like, headbutt them? But he headbutts and then, he like, one. He head... so neck-snaps them it. with his knees?
2: He breaks his handcuffs. Yeah, Handbuts one, chains, handcuffs the handcuffs around that one's neck, snaps his handcuffs on its neck, and then punches the other one to death. Notably, these two are... This, the fairy already talked about who has like a bunch of cool kung fu moves and just gets owned by head, a head a head a headbutt and some handcuffs, and then the chameleon who a does not look like a chameleon, and if I'd had to guess fifteen times what animal it was, I don't think I would have landed on chameleon, and b has like a cool tongue trick and like a bunch of other powers that they use in a different fight that they never bust out. While Nick Cage is fighting their friend like five feet away, they never like <laughs> wrap him in the tongue and stop him, and so it's just like it, it's if. I think there's a version of this where Nick Cage is still no cell beating the shit out of all these monsters, but they try to do their cool stuff and he just owns them anyway. But the like Mm -hmm. no cell super badass doesn't work as well. If we know the monsters have cool tricks, they're not using. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It like makes this all just feel like, okay, fine. Like it feels very perfunctory at that point, which is really boring. But this is where it becomes very Mandy at this point going forward, because this is the fight scene scored by head, shoulders, knees and toes which mentions yes. a fuckload more body parts than I thought were in that song. The extended <laughs> cut of that track on this movie includes like every single bone in the human body. It's a <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, we watch him rip these uh, people, these these poor robots apart. Um, and so, you know, uh, meanwhile, uh <laughs> 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 uh there's the, now my favorite probable scene in the film is actually not with Nick Cage at all but with actually our sheriff um who is le- who is uh who who is who's uh, attacked in the car by Tito the turtle. He, it's the sheriff, right? No, I'm so a, confused with no, the deputy, characters at that point. Deputy. I,
0: the sheriff gets uh It's the
1: deputy
2: fivisected. guy.
0: Vivisected. get cut in half, right? Means you get dissected while
2: you're alive.
0: Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. she gets dissected by uh one of the things. And then the deputy is driving the teenage girl away. And she convinced yes. she convinced him to turn and- back and go save Nicholas Cage, but before he can do that, the turtle uh uh, kills S- him
1: smashes the windows is on top of the car and it is just such a funny wide shot of this turtle on top of the car and it is speaking like the worst spanish <laughs> just like i eat you oh, yeah. like, it's, just it's, just it's like, speaking spanish and you're seeing subtitles for the
0: first time in the whole movie uh it's mm-hmm. unclear if the characters understand spanish or not uh, you have to assume they it's do. It's also the, the most scene.
2: incongruous.
0: Yeah, you, you have to. Under, you have to assume yeah, they understand t- Spanish if you're if from the perspective of you're seeing subtitles. Uh, you have to, but they just don't even acknowledge what the turtle is saying. It literally says "ow my balls" at one point.
2: Uh, it's it's truly like auteur shit. Yeah, and it's the most incongruous ending to a scene. Yeah, if the end of the scene is crazy because fucking she pulls out like. She gets out of the car, and she has the, the deputy shotgun. She picks it up, and she's like, I'm going to shoot you. And it has no bullets. The guy's, like, looking for these, and he's holding the things, and then she's looking for the keys, and he's like, oh, I got those too. And then she just takes the gun and beats the shit out of him. Like, the whole scene is, like, this Tito getting the upper hand in every way and then just getting fucking clowned, despite having every advantage. It's... Oh, this fucking movie. Like, nothing in it makes any sense. You say to it's me.
0: Un, un, incongruous. I think at that point, which is this is, you know, maybe an hour into the movie, it's completely congruous. If they did something like that you'd typically say is right or something that was emotionally effective, uh, that would be like startling <laughs> in this movie at this point. If it just kind of yeah, ends in a whimper, that's par for the course. What I'm
1: expecting. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh while Tito tur- the turtle is attacking the car, um, Willie is finally stepping off the stage to fight our protagonist. Willie starts by yes, just, just, just cutting uh, Lund the the tech the sheriff lady in half, um, and um, then you know there's kind of a fight for a second where you're like, oh, this is the most powerful robot, and then Nick just. Pretty handedly, just rips Willie's head off, and it's over. Well, um, this is one of our soda payoffs because throughout the, the movie we haven't, oh, talked, I'm so sorry, we haven't I talked about, about this sodas. throughout the movie.
2: But mm-hmm. and sometimes some of the best jokes in the movie are based around this thing is that every I think hour his phone goes off. He goes back to the kitchen, drinks one of his purple sodas, plays a round of pinball, which he's very good, and increasingly frantic while playing pinball. Um, beats the game Comes back out And then rejoins the movie um, And sometimes this happens Like when someone else Is in danger And he's protecting them And he just leaves Or he's doing it Walks out and saves somebody It's like they use it in a pr- that's actually One of the funnier Structural parts of the movie But at the mm-hmm. end He goes back into the kitchen Tapes two drumsticks together And puts all his sodas In a bag And then when he has to Fight Willie He uses the drumsticks To block his claws And just beats the shit Out of him with his bag of sodas Um Yeah and that's the soda. That's the first of two soda payoffs. And it's
1: wild. And then, like you said, he just like rips his head off and just finishes in like fatality, Mortal Kombat style. Yeah. Just I like, he, he, it's, like, it's like when you put like batteries in a sleeping bag and you hit people with it or something <laughs> like that. It's like, he just put a bunch of cans in a bag and he's hitting it with them. I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess like mentioning the sodas counts as a payoff, but it doesn't exactly organically like work in the scene yeah, a, a in a meaningful mention, way. A mention yeah.
0: and a payoff are not the same. Uh, we'll talk about the last, the second supposed payoff at the end. But I also want to admit, I remember watching this and realizing he had the sodas in the bag at the end of the movie because a lot of we haven't mentioned. So a lot of this movie is unbearably dark, like visually. Like you're looking at a lot of dark yeah. stuff to the point where a lot of the time you can't see what the fuck is happening, which is very strange a choice because a lot of the times when all that black oil blood sprays on him, it's not as effective because everything around him is dark and you got all this dark fluid. If everything was totally bright and fun, like a maybe child's like birthday place should be, then all that black thick blood would be effective and look really gross and grimy and be a good juxtaposition. But it's just darkly lit. It's
1: so dark. Yeah, i i think I think that they could have like found some some yeah some different scenes because the monsters do go out during the day as we see. Um, but so it's over the robots have all been brutally murdered and the monster has won um and so the next morning the two conspirator guys they return to the place and they're like oh it's all clean like the whole place is like beautiful and like brand new he's like completely he's done like weeks and months of work on the place overnight it looks incredible in there um they are like well I guess we thought we were killing you, but we fixed your car and here it is. Something that makes no sense at all because the whole idea was they were trapping and luring Nick Cage into the place and that they were just going to take the car or something. But instead, they bring the car back out there, fully fixed, but are surprised when Nick emerges. Yes. They actually actually explain that. That dynamic
2: is explained in the movie, to be fair. Yeah, because the whole thing is that uh, the trucker guy fixes the car and is it out, car. It, to, car and brings it out there to give it to. He fixed the car and then brings out there to give it to Tex. And Tex is going to grab right, him but, in there. But
1: he, But they're like exchanging cars at that location. It's just all like very Just get him like out of the way once, you know. They got to check on the guy,
2: get the corpse out. Also, might as well do the car swap. Like, it's just, you know, like, look, honestly, if I'm Tex, I'm trying to minimize my interactions with Jed. If I can see Jed once over the course <laughs> of the day and be done, that's perfect
1: to me. Like, I don't want to have to see that man twice. True. True. So the car's there and Nick gets into the car with Liv, who, what is 19 at the <laughs> oldest? And he's and just like, yeah, this is my new 19 year old girlfriend. And they just drive off together.
2: Yeah. And that relationship <laughs> is established in a scene at the beginning where they lock eyes for an uncomfortably long time. Her yes. expo- her exposition thing, a second locking eyes when, then when she's leaving and then her getting in the car and he gives her one of the sodas. And like that's yeah. that relationship. That's every beat of that relationship and yeah. mm-hmm. I just listed them all.
1: And it's like I'm not sure if the filmmaker wanted us to feel like it's just two individual badasses who are like recognizing the badass in each other, if it's a father to daughter figure, both of those just don't seem like it just seems romantic in a way that is uncomfortable. Um and so we're not ha- I'm not we're not happy with them driving off into the sunset. Um, but as they drive off into the sunset, um, the entire time I'm like, okay, this place is soaked in gasoline. So these conspirators are about to get their comeuppance, but they talk for a long time (laughs) for a really long time. They're like, Hey, so what do you want to do now? I guess we can go get a lunch or something. And they're just chatting. They get in their car and then the final surviving robot, the weird fairy girl is behind the car lights the car on fire and explodes herself and the car and is like happy birthday <laughs> and she just self-jihads
2: and dies. And she has, like, more than enough materials to, like, make a wick that she could survive the explosion with. Because there's, like, six cans yes. of gasoline, like, 55 rags that you can just tie together and, like, make a real wick. But instead, mm-hmm. she just gets right the fuck up in there, lights it, and instead of leaving, walking away from the car, jumps it's on baffling. the car to say happy birthday and blow herself up. Like
1: it's baffling.
2: Yeah, It's it really is a great pin on this movie in the sense that it's just, like, mm-hmm. one final totally inscrutable decision.
1: (laughs) Um, That scene sort of describes the whole movie. You're right because it's like, it's a scene that disregards any setups or anything that would like make sense in the genre. And then just, just does something confusing. Uh, and like, it's like you, it's like with Chekhov's gun, they set up this Chekhov's gun at the beginning of the film that the building is soaked in gasoline. So naturally at the end of the movie, you're going to expect to see the building burning down like so many horror things before it, but no, the, the house is never, burnt. the building is, Never destroyed, never burnt down, just a weird car explosion feet away. It's just, every, it's just every choice to get to that is just like what makes the movie and I think the experience of watching the movie as a whole something that I found kind of fun and like hypnotizing. Um, maybe not in the traditional way of like the way we enjoy bad movies, but it definitely scratched an itch. And I would like tell people to like watch Willie's Wonderland probably before Mandy, because I just think that Mandy is just a good movie and that's boring. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's, there's something to, that. I mean, look, if,
2: if you are looking for like a bad movie night movie to watch with your friends during COVID times on like a watch together stream or like through a discord or something, like I don't think you're going to do better than Willie's Wonderland. Cause it has like everything you want in a, not necessarily a bad movie you watch by yourself, but it's like a bad movie you watch with your friends. Cause it's like a bunch of choices that make no sense. Terrible visual designs that are like inscrutable and insane, like super weird fight scenes, Nick Cage inexplicably playing pinball. Like he's fucking the machine. Like a bunch of things just happen that like are perfect things to like make jokes to your friends about. Yeah. Like it is the, yes. maybe the platonic ideal for that. And
0: If you stop paying attention at any moment, there are two separate scenes where a character will stop everything to explain everything to you to make sure you're caught up. So and they got <laughs> that
1: going. Yeah. yeah. It's like the perfect movie to do that with. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's nice. It's like something you just put on with your friends. Cause it's like, it would, it would like it would suck to like find a movie where you want to like kind of hang out and just kind of like riff and talk but then it's like just a serious good movie like like I would much rather watch again yeah this than Mandy with my friends so I think in certain ways the movie is successful but I would say in the larger picture this movie is the exact opposite of Five Nights at Freddy's I don't think that it makes any (laughs) kind of like video game to film comparisons and like I think that spooky Chuck E. Cheese robot stuff has just sort of been in like the zeitgeist for so long that I, I wanted to connect this film more to the games, but there just really isn't much of a connection there at all. Yeah,
0: well, I think this is, I mean, there is like a very a, a very strong charm in watching, you know, things that are made poorly, right? It kind of reminds you of like, you know, oh, if you're a kid, you watch, like you make your home movies and they're all really bad and shitty and thrown together. Like there's very much like a reminiscent thing of that uh if this was like a ploy to studios like a very cheap ploy say oh hey we could make a five nights at freddy's game a big ip that could make a lot of money because it's very popular i don't know if they did a good job because the movie's bad but if they were to make a five nights at freddy's game i don't think it looks that much different than this i think a five nights at freddy's movie by a big Mm. studio would be a lot of punching and a lot of fighting the things uh, be a, i think it'd be but a little superior but the things would be herified. way more
1: powerful it- Like the things wouldn't be like just getting eliminated immediately.
0: Oh (laughs) no, yeah, no, there'd be there'd be more stalking and more like hiding (laughs) and stuff like that. I do think there is enough superheroification in modern culture where, especially the third act, would be probably a lot of punching and killing these things. And maybe they can like rig up like arcade games or like weird play play stuff to make traps. But for the most part, I think this is it's a very very bad version of what that would be, which is people in a secluded area fighting these animatronic monsters
2: yeah it's well it's five nights at freddy's in this movie have like diametrically opposed ideas of what fear is yes yes in this movie fear isn't real if you're the protagonist and it's only really (laughs) real if a thing is about to murder you and five nights at freddy's (laughs) it's fear is the possibility that anything could potentially be a threat right five nights at freddy's is scary because like Sometimes the AC turns off because the AC turned off, but sometimes the AC turns off because a monster bit the wires like it's the ambiguity and the potential fear. And this I mean, I'm not going to go into the super depth because we talked about this on like last week's episode, but like that ambiguity, those different ideas of fear or what makes Five Nights at Freddy fun and cool and scary in this movie. None of that. None of that at all. It has no time for it or did nothing um and so like yeah this is like it's not even trying to do five nights at freddy's it's like it's like trying to do a moby dick story that's like about a like a shark instead of a whale like it's just a
1: totally different thing hmm i think nick is the whale um so uh <laughs> well that was willie's wonderland folks 2021 nicholas cage did i tell you about the time so you nick cage is the whale the
2: time that i was at like a <laughs> q a with him and he was like Uh, The role that I that I most want to play is, well, first, I got to tell you, ever since a child, I've been attracted to the sea, you know, Elmar. And the thing that I've wanted to play the most in my life (laughs) is Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea because I love (laughs) Elmar. Um. And so you're kind of right yeah. the Nick Cage is the whale. Sorry, that was just like immediately when you said that I had that sense memory of being in the Q&A and, and remembering that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. Well, l- let's end on a low note, not a high note. And uh, I want to thank you guys all for listening to the episode today. Michael, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh,
0: nah, not doing much. <laughs> it's working on my own stuff. Follow me on Instagram, I guess. I'm Goldenberg666 or Twitter at Joker5 underscore uh, Bort. Nothing good going on there. I don't post that much anymore but if I do and you
1: follow me, you'll be the first to see it. Wow. Wow. We're only, only the best here. Uh, and uh, Lux,
2: <laughs> you got anything? Um, yeah. The new PWR guide end coming soon. I think at the end of this month. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be super fun. Um, wise We're putting in a bunch of really fun stuff and I have a big, uh, or a semi big announcement about that eventually, but not today. So stay tuned to us. And that's it for
1: me. I think, mm-hmm. um, um, As for me, I've been doing some social media campaigns for Burger King and check those out (laughs) before they get deleted. Folks, that was Game Boys. See you next week.